uh, to ask me about love and they, they said that they wanted to quote me for a message that they were gonna be sharing this weekend, right? So I get a text message that says, hey, here's, here's three questions, answer one of these about love. I wanna quote you, I'm gonna be sharing this weekend, I wanna quote you. So I thought about it briefly, it didn't take me long, just thought about you know, what, what I thought and, and how I wanted to answer the question and I sent my reply off, but later on I couldn't stop thinking about it. Couldn't stop thinking about the question and how random it was for somebody to just ask you that and, and how I replied and I thought, you know, hey, that was a pretty quick reply. Do I really feel confident in what I said? So this was my response. I said, love is the ultimate contentment. Love is the ultimate contentment, a place where you don't need anything else. You're not longing for anything else because you have love. I said, to be able to evaluate and respond and receive from a place of supreme fulfillment. Evaluate, respond, and receive. So when somebody says something to you, you can evaluate it. When, when, when you're in a situation, you can respond to people. You can receive from somebody from a place of, of supreme fulfillment where you don't take it personal. It's not a shot at you or your value. It doesn't make you uh, uh, something more or something less. If you have love, you, you, you're already fulfilled so that when people talk to you and when you talk to people, it's not like you're trying to acquire something or maintain anything. I also wrote that the challenge is to always remember that we're loved by God and to consistently walk in the love of Christ. It's one thing to know that you can be content it's another thing to, to hear things, respond, receive, and evaluate from a place of fulfillment. It's another thing to every single day, every single hour, understand that you're loved by God and to walk and live in that love and that contentment and that fulfillment. So this morning, this is the direction I'm going to go with, with you all. I just want to pray. Lord, we thank you for love. We thank you for your love for us, Lord God, that you give us an opportunity, Lord, to fall in love with you. We ask that this morning you would minister to us, that you would help us, that you would encourage us, that you would paint a new picture of love for us, Lord God, that we would lay down whatever it is that, that, that we've created, whatever it is that we've established, whatever it is that we've determined love is and should be, could be, and would have been, Lord God, that we would put all of those things to the side and allow you to paint a new picture for us to give us clarity, to give us your definition, Lord God. That we would be able to hold that up to the light, that we would be able to, to see that love tested by fire, by trial and by tribulation, and come to know that it stands firm, that it holds true, Lord God, in a way that our understanding has not been able to do for us, Lord God. Let us leave this place having come to know you more, experiencing more of your love, Lord, more confident and hopeful in who you are and what you have, for each and every one of us, Lord. Have your way, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen, amen. So the title of the message this morning is, They Asked Me About Love. They Asked Me About Love. I'm gonna talk about four things with you. Number one, the love of God. Number two, the call of God. Number three, the restraining of the Holy Spirit. And number four, your election and your establishment. Four things. I want to share with you. Our scripture, if you can turn there, it'll be up for you. If not, is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read through the, the first 17 verses, and that's going to be the foundation of what I want to share with you. 2 Thessalonians, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 1 through 17. When you get there, say love. Oh, now I see people turning. Now you want to turn. 
have a Bible, flip through it, get into the app, swipe through it, whatever you got to do. You heard Sarah ministering about, look, if you read the word, you don't have to be afraid, you don't have to be scared, you'll know the truth. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if it was from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is, in, is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. And they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because of God, from the beginning, he chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and every good work. It's a lot. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 17. The believers in Thessalonica, this city that this letter was being written to, had begun to believe the reports and the words that they were hearing from other people in regards that somehow they had missed the second coming of the Lord. Imagine coming into a church, hearing about Jesus, getting saved, putting your faith in them, into Christ, and then all of a sudden people start to tell you, hey, you missed the boat. He already came back. Whatever you've been doing, wherever you've been giving, whatever you've been learning, it was all a lie. There's no real hope here anymore. You missed it. Your hope for deliverance, your hope for love was misplaced. Paul is writing this letter, and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's telling them, how did this happen? Verse 1 through 5. The coming of the Lord and gathering together to him, he says, don't be soon shaken in mind or be troubled. These letters and these words that you're hearing, they're not from Christians. They're not from us. The people who came and told you the truth are not the ones spreading these lies to you, he says. Don't be deceived as if Christ had already come. He starts talking about this falling away that has to happen. He says the, the, the son of perdition, Satan, he's going to exalt himself. He's going to sit on the throne of God and the temple of God saying that he is God. He's telling the people, look, maybe it's getting bad for you and you think God doesn't love you. 
Maybe you've made some bad decisions and you think that you've somehow forfeited the love of God. He says, but it's got to get a whole lot worse than it is right now for you to think somehow that you've missed the boat. People are probably being led to believe that because they didn't live up to the high calling of God, because they didn't meet the righteous requirements of their faith, right? That's what they were taught before Jesus came on. The old faith said, here's a book of laws that you have to keep. And if you don't keep them, you're going to go to hell. And the only way to keep from going to hell is to make these tithes, make these offerings. Let us pray for you. Let us kill a bull and spread the blood for you. And then you'll have this atonement that's good for a year. Come back next year. We'll do it all over again. Then Jesus comes on the scene and Paul goes into Thessalonica and tells him, listen, all the righteous requirements of the law have been met. You don't have to do anything. Just put your faith in Jesus. He paid the price for you. You don't have to do anything. Just receive the love of God. Here's the problem. Many of us come to church with Catholic upbringing. Many of us, like my wife, comes to church with an Orthodox upbringing, which is like Catholicism. Many of us come from legalistic churches that have a laundry list of rules and regulations about what you have to do, when you have to do it. And instead of receiving a new faith that says, we know, God says, I know you couldn't meet the righteous requirement of the law, so I sent my son to meet it for you, and everything that he has has been transferred to you. Instead of us receiving that and walking in that, we become like the church in Thessalonica saying, I've got to be this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and if I don't, God doesn't love me anymore. So Paul's writing this letter saying, how are you allowing this to happen to you? Who's lying to you? Who are you listening to? What Bible are you reading? Or are you not reading the word of God and you're just listening to what people have to say to you? In the New Testament with, with, uh, with Jesus, he's talking to a legalistic church. It's his church, but they're legalistic. Jesus says this in Luke eleven fifty two. 52. He says, woe to you lawyers. You've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who are entering in, you hinder them. And, and as he said these things to them, the scribes and Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something that he might say that they may accuse him. Jesus has the highest standards for you and for the church. He has the ultimate level of reverence for the Father God and what God wants from us, Right? But he would not allow the leaders of the church to distort the truth about how you enter into the kingdom of God, how you enter into relationship with Jesus, right? He scolded the church leaders, these scribes and Pharisees, and he called them lawyers because they were using the law of God to condemn people. This is Jesus in the church, and he's saying, how are you the leaders telling everybody that they've got to meet all the righteous requirements of the law and if they cannot do it, they cannot know me, they can't have love and they can't go to heaven. He says, you don't enter in and then you keep them from entering in. You should be telling them about the grace of God and the love of God and how they'll never be able to do it. So I've done it for them. So number one of the things I want to talk to you about, the love of God. When we first hear, hopefully you've heard, when you first hear about the love of God, forgiveness, being born again, regeneration, what regeneration actually is, I don't know about you, but I was overjoyed. I was compelled to give my life to Jesus. What, I can start over? I can be forgiven for all my sin? All the stuff I know I can never make up? You're just going to wipe that all away? You're going to cast it as far as the east is from the west? I'm sold. Please sign me up. 
Please let me have that. Please let it be real. Don't let it be a lie. What begins to happen to us, though, if we are not consistently in community, if we are not consistently in the word of God, we begin to hear voices. That's the truth. We hear God at first saying, come and be forgiven. Come and be set free, right? Come and be regenerated. And then if we get away from that word and we get away from the children of God and the house of God and the word of God, we begin to hear voices. The voice of non-believers. You don't really believe that, do you? You don't really think that somebody could fix all your problems thousands of years ago because he died and you never, you don't believe that, do you? That's just a wish, like you wish everything could be better. Maybe you begin to hear the voices of legalistic believers, right? Every time they, you come, they look at you like, where you been? <laughs> you know you ain't living, right? You know you ain't acting, right? All that means is that you don't really love God and he don't love you. You're not saved. On Wednesday night, if you get a chance to get into the app and listen to Wednesday night's Bible study, Matthew chapter 26, I believe we were in, uh, we talked about the difference between sheep and goats. You got these legalistic believers. Everybody kept asking me, how do I know if I'm a sheep? How do I know if I'm a goat? We look the same. We sound the same. We're all in the same pen or the same corral. And what people wanted me to say was, I'll tell you who the goats are and who the sheep are. But I, what I had to tell them was, I don't know. Only the Lord knows. Amen. I'm not going to be legalistic and say, because I look at you and you're not doing X, Y, and Z, you must be a goat. Come on now, come on. God's the only one that knows that. Legalistic believers will make you believe that they know. You begin to stray away from God. I think the other voices that are even worse, worse than non-believers and worse than legalistic believers is the own voices that you have in your own head. The voice of doubt that begins to tell you, you can't live for Jesus. You ain't good enough for that. You ain't going to make it. You've never stuck to anything in your life. I don't know about the rest of you, but this is the first thing I've ever stuck to in my life. <laughs> Jesus. Everything else, I either dropped out, quit, ruined it, smoked it up, drank it. I mean, everything was destroyed. Never once. This was the first book I ever read from beginning to end. Like, I'm, I'm living in the life of the first right now. But that voice in the beginning was strong. Vaughn, you ain't going to make it. You're going to be a laughing stock. You're going to act like you're all about Jesus. And in two or three years, they're going to see you on Facebook acting worse than you were before. That's the voice you need to be worried about, that inner voice of doubt. Eventually what happens, if we get removed from this fellowship and removed from community and removed from the word of God, is that we will stray from God and we'll say it's too good to be true. Okay. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32 says, this is one of my favorite scriptures, if you, if you are saved or if you are in the early stages of salvation, if you know somebody who you're praying gets saved, please remember this scripture. Write it down, tattoo it on yourself if you have to. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 and 33. When I read this, it was like, I just looked around like, this is it. This is what happened to me. Did anybody else experience this? Hebrews 10, 32. Recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle and sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. Hebrews 10.32 talks about what it's like to get saved. You, you get illuminated that God is real, that he loves you, that you can be saved, and then all of a sudden, bam, trial, tribulation, and difficulty hits you. 
It says you endured that while you were being made a spectacle. I remember every day like going out and feeling like I was just such a spectacle. Like people just looking at you like, man, what happened to you? You're worthless. This ain't gonna work. This ain't the answer to your problems. You're the problem and you can't escape yourself, Vaughn. I remember feeling like a spectacle. Everywhere I'd go, every time I'd run into a friend or a family member, every family function, you're just on display and you just feel so ridiculous. But in Hebrews it says, you endured those things and you became companions of those who were so treated. The reason I say that you have to remember this is God begins to restore our lives and change our lives and redirect our lives. But every time you're in church and somebody raises their hand and says, I want to give my life to Jesus, you should think about this scripture and what they're about to go through. And you should be there for them. It says you went through that and you became companions of those who were so treated. I know what you've been through. If you're saved, I know what you've been through. And those who do give their lives to the Lord, we might meet somebody at the park today that wants to give their life to the Lord. Oh, we love you. Here's a hamburger. You know, can we tell you a little bit about Jesus? Yeah, I've been thinking about God. I'm glad you're here. Maybe it's a divine appointment. We're going to pray with them. Then we're going to walk away and say, figure it out for yourself. They're about to go through some significant upheavals in their life. The beginning is so amazing, but it can be difficult to really receive it, and it can be difficult to plant that seed into fertile soil. If we aren't careful, we'll either walk away from God in times of struggle and suffering, right? Or we will grow with legalism uh, and this, this uh, burden for the law infused in what God intended to be grace and mercy in our lives. Paul's reminding these believers in uh, Thessalonica, verse 1 through 5 of our scripture today, that they didn't miss out on anything, they didn't lose anything, they didn't forfeit anything, God loves them, right? He's saying, remember how this started. Don't listen to the lies and don't listen to the voices. He has to tell them in his second letter, like, you guys are going crazy and you're losing your mind and you're going in the, in the wrong direction. Listen to the first letter, how he starts with his testimony to them. Listen to where they are. Now versus where they started. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. We give thanks to God always for, for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, that your election is from God. Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. You became followers of us and followers of the Lord, having received the word even in much affliction. You received it with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. He starts off telling you guys are the most amazing of all Christians, your faith, your strength, your giving, your love, your testimony. And then the very next letter, he's like, why do you guys not believe anymore? 
How many of us either in this room or people we know, they used to have strong faith and now it's as if God doesn't exist? Now it's as if it's just a struggle to get to church from time to time. Now it's as if you've asked them to sacrifice their son when you tell them to read the Bible. If I or anyone else has convinced you that because of mistakes you've made, a rough season you've been through, a bad decision that you made, that you've somehow forfeited your inheritance as far as the love of God is concerned, don't believe that. That's a lie. God loves you. You are still in the grace of God. You are still a child of God. You still have destiny and purpose ahead of you. There's things that God is going to do if you allow him to do it. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Don't believe the voices in your head. Don't believe legalistic Christians. Don't believe a faith that tells you that you need a mediator between you and God. Know the truth. Read the word. Understand. You can't lose the love of God. It's so good that once you have it, you can't lose it. That's what Paul's saying in verse 5 of our scripture today. He says, do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? He says, yeah, you got issues, you got room to grow, and you got some repenting to do, you got battles to fight. But don't ever believe that those things can reverse the truth, that you're saved by the love and the blood of Jesus. So the love of God. Number two, the call of God. The call of God is something we often uh, overthink. Some people have been waiting for the call of God for like 20 years. Who are the called and how do you know that you're called? The called are those who hear and respond to God. That's simple. If you hear God and you respond to God, you are called. It doesn't need to be more complicated than that. In our scripture today, 2 Thessalonians 2.14, He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're called through the gospel to obtain the glory of Christ. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's what Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says. As you hear the gospel... Many of us have heard it in a bunch of different ways, in a bunch of different seasons, from a bunch of different people, right? But eventually we begin to, to consider, hey, maybe this is true. Maybe somebody did make a way for me to be healed and to be born again. When you actually begin to hear God, that's God calling you, calling you into salvation. At the end of every service, and even when I'm talking to people, I always extend an opportunity for people to give their life to God because I don't know what God is doing. I don't know how many times they've heard the gospel. I don't know if the Holy Spirit is working on their heart. I don't know if they're hearing God saying, I'm calling you, I'm calling you. I want you, I love you. So what, what, would it, what good would it be for me to not say, hey, by the way, is God calling you? Would you like to give your life? I'm going to do that all the time. People ask me, why do you do that every service? Because... <laughs> Because it's the Holy Spirit's work to call people out of darkness into light and out of death into life. My job is to tell them the truth about who God is and what he's offering to them. Amen. It's simple. There's other calls that God will make on your life after salvation. He'll call you into marriage. He'll call you into parenting. He'll call you into a particular job. He'll call you into ministry. We talked about it earlier with Sarah. He'll call you into the mission field. Once we have that relationship with Jesus where we, where we begin to hear him through his word, through studying the word, through prayer, right? He just will call you into things. When I became a pastor, I didn't get like a Holy Ghost email from Jesus. <laughs> You're called to be a pastor. That's not how it worked. 
I started reading my Bible, and then God started giving me opportunities to share with other people what I had been reading. Then I went to my pastor and said, I want to start a Bible study. Then they prayed over me and launched me to lead Bible studies. Then those Bible studies began to be fruitful, and then I felt God calling me to say, this is what I want you to do with the rest of your life. It doesn't matter if it's five people or 20 people in your home. It doesn't matter if it's in a church building. It doesn't matter if it's at Day on the Tacos for a men's fellowship. It's all the same. Your goal and your call is to go out and minister the gospel and the truth about me. But it wasn't like, again, it wasn't this, the, the, the skies parted and the lightning bolt, and, and I was like, did anybody else see that? And it said, be a pastor. <laughs> it's not like that. When I say too many people are waiting too long for the call, start doing something, and believe me, you'll start to hear God speak to you. Sarah didn't get a Holy Ghost email either to go to London. She started praying, Lord, I want to do something. I want to go somewhere. I want to see the world. I want, I want to see what you created. I want to be used. And literally the very next day, I had already known for probably two weeks that this opportunity was there, but I was praying. And of everybody that I thought I could talk to, I said, this young woman, she loves Jesus. When, when I was talking to, to Nicholas about the requirements and what it's going to take and what needed, he says, he says it's simple. They got to love Jesus and they got to love young people and they've got to be willing to labor for the kingdom. After two weeks of praying, there was one person on my mind. One person. It was right after worship, and I didn't even make a big old scene. They finished worship like they did this morning. Everybody's hugging and kissing. She's walking down off the stage and said, hey, Sarah, I want to talk to you about something. Would you like to go to London, minister to young people for a year? She almost started crying. She says, just yesterday I was praying about going overseas. So it's simple. It's simple how God works. It's not that complicated. She didn't, after that, she was like, okay, let's, let's wait until, until God speaks to me audibly. No, we just started taking the next step. But well, what has to happen? You need to apply for a passport. What else needs to happen? Let's start praying. And one by one, further confirmations began to happen. God began to open doors for it to, to take place. She mentioned that, that yesterday her, her passport came in, right? We plan for friends and family to be here. It's awesome to be able to see that, hey, the passport showed up. People are giving towards this trip. For you, every individual here in this place this morning, it's not about me becoming a pastor or her going off to, to, to London for a year. It's like God is the God of calling people. Like, what is he calling you to right now? Or what, you might already even be doing it, but you don't consider it a call of God, so there's no power in it and there's no Holy Spirit in it. Maybe he wants you to coach. Maybe he wants you to give rides. Maybe he wants you to volunteer more than just once every six months at Crittenton and actually really minister to those young ladies like, like somebody testified about. I guarantee you it's designed for you. I guarantee you there will be difficulty, and I guarantee you it will be the most fulfilling thing you've ever done in your life because it's the call of God. Romans 11.29 says, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. If you think it's too late, it ain't too late. <laughs> if you think you missed the boat or you've been disqualified, you have not missed the boat and you have not been disqualified. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. When he says this is for you and you can have it, that lasts for eternity. Amen. What are we putting in front of it? The Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Like, What are you going to forfeit the gifts and calling of God in order to have? So the love of God, the call of God, three of four, we're almost there. The restraining of the Holy Spirit, this is a big one. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 of our scripture, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. 
The enemy overall in, in history and in the world right now, he is being restrained by the Holy Spirit. If you read the Bible, what it says is that the Spirit of God is restraining evil from doing what it really wants to do and acting how it really wants to act. And what this scripture in 2 Thessalonians says is there's going to come a day where the Spirit of God is going to be removed and let evil have its way. If you think it's bad now, can you imagine what it's going to be like when the Holy Spirit restrains? There are things that are not allowed to be done right now because the Spirit of God is alive in the world that when the Spirit of God is removed, the things that are done in the dark and in the shadows will be done in the open. You'll see a commercial for Gatorade, then you'll see a, a commercial for sex trafficking because it'll be in the open and the Spirit of God will not be restraining. Look at our society, look at our own nation and what is allowed now that was never allowed before, it's just normal now. Just imagine what it's going to be like when the Spirit is, is removed from restraining. Remember, the Spirit not only does that with evil in general, the Spirit does that in your own life. It restrains evil. He, don't say, my, excuse me, Lord. The Spirit is not an it, it's a he. <laughs> he restrains evil in your life. If you ain't talking to the Holy Spirit, who's restraining anything in your life? If you ain't praying to the Holy Spirit, who's restraining anything in your life? Who's defending you? Who's preventing evil from having its way in your life? Second Thessalonians 2.13, God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. He gives the process right there, lays it out for you. Sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. It doesn't say by feelings and desires to do the right things. Wouldn't it be nice if we all just felt like doing the right thing? Like you woke up this morning, I can't wait to do the right thing this week. Lord, give me an opportunity to shine your light. Give me an opportunity to be ridiculed and just respond with love. Give me an opportunity to turn the other cheek. I can't wait. Let me do it right every single time. We don't, we don't live like that. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, that ain't going to happen to you. It's not by our feelings. It's by sanctification, and it's by belief in the truth. Stand fast, verse 15 says, and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by epistle. We need to be restrained, and there needs to be sanctification and setting apart. Is that a popular message in the church? Can I tell you that? Hey, listen, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you love Jesus. You need to be restrained now. Don't go do what you want to do. Don't go act how you want to act. Let the Holy Spirit restrain you. Let there be a sanctification and a setting apart. How many of you realize that if you don't get sanctified and set apart from the world, like you're going to act like the world? You're going to live like the world. You're going to do what you used to do, and you're going to do what others still do. If you understand the truth, he says, sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. When you know what the truth is, you know why you're allowing yourself to be restrained, why you're allowing, allowing Jesus to be the Lord of your life. I know the truth, and I know what he says, and I know that it holds true every single time, 100 out of 100. I feel like such an idiot when I don't do what he wants me to do, and I don't allow the Spirit to restrain me, and I just let Vaughn loose to do what he wants to do. What a wonderful thing it is when the Holy Spirit begins to restrain our tongues, our actions, our behavior. When truth begins to dictate the direction that you go in your life and your relationships. When we take the freedom that we've been given in Christ, he says, you're free. You've been set free from everything. And you take that freedom, instead of running amok, you say, all right, now I'm going to submit myself willingly to you, Lord. Amen. You be the Lord of lords. You be the king of kings in my life. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.12, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You know what that means? When you get saved, Jesus says, you can do whatever you want, but it ain't all going to be good for you. That's crazy, the freedom in Christ. When you read through how many encounters Jesus had with people, you know what he'd tell them? He'd heal them, he'd touch them, he'd forgive them, he'd do all he'd, all right, just go and sin no more. Like, what kind of instruction is that? <laughs> I, need, I need more from you, Lord. No, he's like, no, just go and just don't sin. Go live. You're free. Do whatever you want to do, but just so you know, everything is now lawful for you because I paid the price for every sin you could ever commit, but everything's not going to be profitable for you. Eat what you want to eat, you're going to die of heart disease. Drink whatever you want to drink, it's going to kill you with your liver. Go out, spend time out there, date as many as you want to, your soul is going to be dried up, taken from you. You can do it if you want to because you're free. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make you be chained to me. But it will not be profitable for you. Paul says, look, I'm going to take my freedom, and I'm not going to allow my freedom to put me back into bondage. Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians 7.22, Paul says, He who was called in the Lord while he is a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. Saying if you were bound and you were, you were destitute and you were a slave, God comes into your life and frees you. But what you should do, take that freedom and say, Lord, I want to be your slave. You tell me what to do now. I don't want to run around aimlessly or free. You know what it's called when a person willingly commits themselves into slavery? It's not, it's not, it's not surprising that we don't know. <laughs> Nobody's looking that up, right? Like, how can I become a slave? It's called being a bond servant. When you willingly commit yourself to be a slave, and another key fact about bond servants is that they don't receive wages. So you willingly submit yourself to be a slave and you ain't going to get paid. When you're restrained by the Holy Spirit and you give your life to Jesus willingly, it's not to earn spiritual wages. Like, what can I get from God and what can I be in God's kingdom? You know that you've already been given so much, there's nothing left to earn. God's given us everything. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You earn death and you earn from our sins the payment and the penalty, but God gives us the free gift of salvation, he says. <clears throat> Listen to these statements about being a bondservant. Men and women who truly give their lives in service unto Jesus are not doing it to earn anything. It costs you. Maybe that's discouraging, but it costs you to serve the Lord. The Bible says it's a reasonable service, but there's a cost. You leave friends, you leave family. There's things you want to do, places you want to go, things you might want to be involved in. You say, I can't do that. Saturday nights, you want to go out, you go home. <laughs> family sleeping, you're preparing messages. Kids got soccer, you're giving for somebody to go become a missionary. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a cost. And it's a willing. God says, you don't have to do it. I'm not going to force you. Titus 1.1, Paul says, Paul, a bondservant of God. James 1.1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude 1.1, 1, 1. 
Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. They open one, chapter one, verse one of every letter. They want you to know the most important thing about them. I have sold myself into slavery unto Jesus Christ. Amen. That's where my life is. That's what these men of God who write the word of God for us say, I have willingly sold myself into slavery unto Jesus Christ, not to earn anything, but to give everything. Therefore, everything I tell you after this, please receive it from a place that I'm not after you to get something from you. I'm pouring my life, out, my life out to give something to you. When we read, I hope we read, but when we read these letters, is that how we read them? What, what box can God put me into and try to force me to be something that I don't want to be and try to make my life miserable until I die? God loves us. He's calling us, but the Holy Spirit is a restraining spirit. When you take your freedom and you give it unto Christ uh, and allow him to be the Lord of your life, that's what he wants. We all want a savior, but man, we need a Lord. Right? Is he Lord and savior or just savior? For those that go out and he says, hey, you're free, go be free, he's savior. For those that say, hey, you're free, go and sin no more, and they say, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want your Holy Spirit to, to lead me, restrain me, and guide me. Then he really becomes Lord and Savior. He's an awesome Lord. Last one. Your election and your, and your establishment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, From the beginning, or excuse me, God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. I'm not sure that we'll ever really get our minds wrapped around this church, but the fact that you're truly chosen by God is such a wonderful thing. It's not a package deal, like, that's my parents, so I kind of came in with them. My friend invited me, so she's really the spiritual one. I'm just kind of hanging out and trying to get some of the blessings. You're not... Uh, Sneaking into the kingdom and family of God unnoticed, like everybody else is important and you're not important. There is no Christian that's more important than another Christian. It doesn't matter if you're the super Christian that does everything and goes everywhere and, and you've got it all figured out, or it's day one and you don't even know, you don't know how you're going to live when you walk out of the church, right? It's not like the regular world that most of us live in. We are all chosen by God. We are all supremely valuable to God. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He chose you on purpose to come into relationship with him. Handpicked. John 15, 16. Jesus says, you did not choose me. I chose you <laughs> and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. When he says that your fruit should, should remain, he said, I want to establish you. I want, not only did I choose you and elected you, and, and you are important to me individually, but I want you to bear fruit with your life, and I want your fruit to remain. I want you to be established. I want everything that's behind you to stay behind you and have a life of fruitfulness that never stops. Last night, we were, we were with friends and family uh, to celebrate somebody who's going to be getting married, and we're talking to another uh, gentleman who leads a church. And we were talking about our women's ministry, women's Bible study 31 status, right? And we were telling him what we did uh, earlier that day on Saturday. And he said, oh, the first time you guys told me about this was like two years ago. It hasn't died out yet. Most ministries, he was saying, like, our, our women's ministries and our Bible studies, they don't last that long. And I told him, 
uh, we ain't playing around. Like, we plan to do these things forever. Amen. What do you mean, Dada? Like, we want fruit that remains Amen. and gets better and better and keeps growing and keeps growing. If you expect things to be dying out and getting worse and you having good seasons and bad seasons and good seasons and bad seasons, maybe he ain't Lord. Maybe he ain't the sinner. 2 Peter 1.10, Peter says, Brethren, be diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Peter says, if you put your faith in Christ, let the Holy Spirit restrain you, make Jesus be your Lord, your election will be sure, you'll never, you'll never question it, you'll know that you're chosen, and you'll never stumble. You'll be established on solid ground all the time, every situation, every circumstance. I wonder if it's that we don't read these things or if we just don't believe them. Either way, uh, we got to make a change. Most Christians say things like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm not perfect. Jesus is the only perfect one. Uh, if you want perfection, go to Jesus. I'm going to keep failing and stumbling. But what the scriptures say is that if you add these things to your faith, you'll never stumble. You won't be perfect because Jesus is the only perfect one, but you'll be a whole lot closer than most of us have ever experienced. I believe the word of God for my life and for my family's life and for your lives that you can overcome whatever's holding you down. The scriptures close in verse 16 and 17 of 2 Thessalonians this morning. Paul says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. So I started off with the title of they asked me about love. To me, love is, is uh, it ain't what we think it is. It ain't the, the feelings that we think it is. Love is to see uh, an 18-year-old girl that you'd rather stay home and you bless her and say, go. Love is to see uh, uh, needs that, that can be met and you sacrifice and you give in to them. Love is to say, you know what, Jesus, you can be Lord of my life and I want you to restrain me. Love is to say, I'm called and chosen individually and specifically by God for a purpose. Love is to say, you've been given all the freedom that you could ever want and you've been, been made rich beyond your wildest dreams and now, you're going to submit yourself unto Christ and the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's not the love of a man or of a woman. It's not the love of a friend. It is the ultimate contentment. Can you walk out of here this morning and say, because I have the love of God, I'm content. It doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what I have and what I don't have. It doesn't matter what my bank account reads. It doesn't matter what my relationship status is on Facebook. It does, nothing matters. Amen. I'm supremely content. When people talk to you, can you not take it personal? If you have the love of God, what can you take personal? What should you take personal that I or anybody else has to say to you if you know the love of God? What should upset you? Can you evaluate and respond anything that's said to you just from a place of fulfillment? The challenge of remembering that we're loved by God, consistently walking in his love is very difficult, but it's a worthwhile endeavor. Lately, 
you guys all, all know, and I'm sure you've heard this, like the worst thing to do is pray for patience because God is going to give you all this drama. Uh, but lately, I've been really focused on trying to live these things out, and it ain't easy, but I believe it's a worthwhile endeavor. I'm not trying to hurt you, and I know you're not trying to hurt me. You know what the reality is? In the kingdom, most people aren't trying to hurt you. When they tell you something, it's for your benefit. God is speaking to them, and God is speaking through them for your benefit. It's challenging, and it's hard, but receive it in love. Jesus says, tell the truth in love. Let's stand. <clears throat> we thought it was going to all be uh, <laughs> happy juice and band-aids this morning. We're, we're sending Sarah out. If you put your hope in him, if you put your trust in him, uh, you'll never be disappointed. If you talk to the people in this, in this building this morning, many of them have come to know that hope, come to know that Jesus, come to know that faith and are yet to be disappointed. We get disappointed in ourselves and some of the things that we do, some of the things we say, <clears throat> some of the decisions that we've made. But I can't honestly say that I've ever been disappointed in Jesus from the first day that I met him. Every trial and tribulation, every bad decision that I've made, he's met me with, with uh, grace and forgiveness and hope again. He says uh, his mercies are new every morning. Question is this morning, for everybody that's here, is there anybody who's heard the gospel about what it means to be saved, right? You've begun to mix that with faith, like you've started to ask, is this true? Could it be true for me? Could this be life-changing for me? Does this, does this mean something to me or is this for other people? And then the ultimate question is, can you hear God calling you this morning? If you're not saved, do you hear God like calling you to come into relationship with him. Not to go to church, right? Not to be able to uh, stamp Christian on all the stuff that you do and how that you live, but into a real relationship with him like we read in these scriptures. Because like I said, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. That's all that matters this morning, right? Is whether or not you've responded to the call of God. Is there anybody this morning? You're not saved, but you want to be? Let people look at you, it's okay, this morning. Raise your hand, it's the most important thing that can ever happen to you is to give your life to Jesus, to hear him calling you, anybody. Thank you, Lord. Is there anybody this morning who wants to make themselves a bondservant unto Christ? If you didn't raise your hand, I believe that you're saved. So now the question to all the saved folks here is, would you like to really give your life to Jesus now? Like he gave you life and he forgave you and you're saved because he's forgiven you of all your sins. You've been washed by the love and by the blood of Jesus. The question is, can you say like Titus, like Jude, like Peter, and like Paul, I am a bondservant of the Lord Jesus. Those are the people I wanna pray with this morning. That would say he's Savior, but he's not Lord yet, but you want him to be. He's so good, but we haven't really surrendered everything else since then. I want to pray that you would be able to respond to God, that if he's calling you uh, to do so this morning, 
right? If you feel like he's, he's literally told you, you're free. Go and sin no more. And maybe you've taken that freedom, you know you're saved and, and, and you love him because of that, but maybe you've realized that you're just kind of out there in that freedom and you need a Lord. <laughs> you need the Holy Spirit to begin to restrain and redirect and li- li- really lead your life. I want to pray with you. I believe that he wants to, and I believe that once you get on that track, you'll never want to go back. You'll never want to go back to being, come on down here, Ronnie. Anybody else? Come on down here. Let's let him be Lord and Savior. Let's take our freedom and give it back. What an amazing thing. You don't have to. It's yours. He says, look, I died. I rose from the grave. I will bring you into heaven. You belong to me. Here's riches beyond your wildest dreams and imagination. Here's freedom like you've never known before. Every shackle broken, right? Every curse removed, right? You've been delivered. And then he says, hey, if you'd like to, you can walk with me. (laughs) I'll take you with me wherever I go. I'll show you the right direction. I'll open doors that only I can open. But it's your choice. Anybody else, before we pray for those who are here, just want to let the Lord do that. Amen. Come on down. Thank you, Jesus. Man, he's a good God. He's a good God. So in our story in Thessalonians this morning, for those of you who are here at this altar, it says that there's a sanctification and separation by the Holy Spirit. And then it says, believing in the truth. Two things that I'm going to ask you to do is just be separated unto God. That may mean not answering certain phone calls, right? That may mean taking some some places that you used to go and things that you used to be involved in, just saying, I'm going to be separate. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be in those places. I'm not going to be in that environment. And then it says, believing the truth, you got to know the truth. Read your word. Ask somebody to help you. Listen to the word on the radio. Get rid of all the worldly stations. Get that stuff out and away from you and let God just begin to wash you with his word. And his spirit will do amazing things in your life. Speak to you in amazing ways. Take you places that you've never been before. He's calling you unto that. Lord, we thank you for every man and every woman that's here at your your altar this morning, God. Asking that you would be Lord. Lord, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you chose each and every one of us, that you know us by name, that you did it on purpose, Lord, that you saw our situation, you saw our circumstance, you saw the sin, you saw the trials and tribulations, Lord. You saw that we were drowning and you came and you saved us. You gave us new life. You washed away every sin that we've ever committed, Lord God. You've cast them as far as the east is from the west. We can never be more loved and we can never be more free, Lord God. We thank you this morning that they would say, here's my freedom. Here's my rights. I make myself a bondservant. I do it willingly, Lord. You're not taking anything from me. I'm not forced to do it, Lord God. Willingly, I take the freedom that you've given me and I give it back to you and say, lead my life. Direct me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Restrain me from evil. Keep the enemy at bay, Lord God. Give me vision and destiny. Call me into things. Give me purpose. 
and make it clear, Lord God. I pray for sanctification of those who are here, Lord God, that there would be a separation, Lord. To sanctify is to be set apart for a particular service unto God. Sanctify them, separate them, set them apart, Lord God. And then help them to know your truth and believe your truth, to meditate upon your truth. You say day and night we need to be in your word. We need to be praying, Lord, not just thinking about the word, not just reading the words themselves, Lord God, but communing with you in the word. Asking you to give us clarity and understanding, asking you to help this to have an impact in our lives. Lord, I thank you for their decision, Lord. I thank you that you remind us that there's more to your love than what we've experienced so far. And the kind of love that you have for us, Lord God, is beyond compare. It's long-suffering, it endures, it doesn't seek its own, Lord God. It's an amazing love that you have for us. Protect them and cover them, Lord, on this next season in their journey with you, Lord. Give them strength to endure, Lord, and take them into the place that you would have them to go, God. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. There's none like you, Lord. Those of you who are here at the altar, stay down here. Just take a couple steps back. I'm going to ask Sarah. This Sarah, come on down here to the front. we got some people who will be praying behind you. Any friends and family that want to reach out to Sarah, lay hands on Sarah, just come on up here to the front. If we can have the elders, Gary and Raymond, come down here. We're going to place hands on Sarah this morning. A couple weeks ago, we read a story about uh, Elisha and Gehazi. Elisha had a disciple named Gehazi, and it says that he went in the wrong direction. He started looking for things that it wasn't time to receive. He was being led, and God was doing things. There was going to be this passing of the mantle, and he went after riches, and he went after blessings. But the interesting thing was, Elisha said to him, you know, did I not go with you? My heart goes with you. We love you. He says, I love you, Gehazi. So no matter where you go, I'm with you, right? So we think about you as a disciple in this church. We think about you as a worship leader in this church. We think about you as a daughter and as a niece and as a, all kinds of other things. But our heart goes with you. You don't go anywhere alone, right? You're going to have new friends. You're going to have new family members. There's going to be people that you meet that right now God is already orchestrating it. That when you said, I'm a young woman, I'm 18, I don't know any of these things. You're going to have friends when you're 40 and 50 years old that you are going to meet over these next few months. God has wonderful things ahead of you, but you'll never lose those of us who are here with you now. Now, we love you and our heart goes with you. Your blood family and your church family. We're believing that God's going to do amazing things. We're believing that we will all be changed and grow and, and be uh, uh, ministered to. That we will be encouraged to find our gifts and our callings. We believe that this is just one step and many steps that God is going to have you to take. Be open to him leading you. Be open to his spirit prompting you and, and let him restrain. You have all this freedom. A young woman, 18 years old, some people will never get on a plane. Some people will never go out of state. Some people will never go out of the country. And at your age, you're going further and doing more than many will ever do. But it's just the beginning. Yes. Don't be capped and don't be restrained uh, by, by others. Only let the Holy Spirit restrain you. Lord, we thank you for Sarah. 
We thank you for the gifts, Lord God, that you placed inside of her. We thank you, Lord, that she's been uh, willing to use whatever you've given her. You gave her a voice, and every week she comes into this place, and she sings her heart out, Lord God. You gave her a spirit, Lord God. Your love is alive inside of her, so she not only sings, Lord, she speaks to the youth. She speaks to the adults, Father God. She loves her friends. She loves her family. She believes in prayer, Lord God. We thank you for, for what she's done, Lord. The same way that you gave some uh, five bites, you gave some four or two, and you gave some one. One hit them, Lord. But those who use them, they multiplied them, and you gave them more. She's been faithful with what you've given her, Lord, so we pray that you would multiply it. Give her more. Give her more experiences, more friends, more family, more destiny, Father God. We ask that you would place a hedge of protection over her and around her, that the enemy would not be able to penetrate, Father God. That there would be, uh, obviously, Lord, we know that there were going to be tough times and difficulties, but within your grace, Lord, restrain the enemy and keep him at bay, Father God. Love her. Show her more about herself. Raise her up in this next year, Father God. Keep her safe and bring her back to us, Lord. Bring her back to us, Lord God, that we can rejoice about what you've done. Love on her, Lord. Help those that she leaves behind in this church. Help those that she leaves behind in her family, Lord God, to be at peace, to have clarity, understanding, and vision, Lord. And we pray that you would receive all the glory. It's not about Sarah. It's not about the way. It's not about her family or friends. It's about you and your glory and your plan to save and change lives. We love you this morning. We thank you for her. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Thank you, Lord. We're going to release you. Lord, we thank you for another day, another opportunity to be in your presence, to be in your house, Lord. We thank you for ministering to, to young women who have been uh, hurt, who have been abused, Lord God, who are underprivileged, Lord. We thank you for that, that facility and for that staff, Father God. We thank you that this afternoon we go out to feed people, Lord. We know that they cannot just survive by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Lord God, we ask that you would give us a boldness, that you would give us a, a passion, Lord, to go out and meet people, not that they would be added to our church, but that they would be added to your church, God. Let us have divine appointments. Let us be filled with your spirit that they would recognize something different inside of us and that they would desire it, Lord. Let us be the salt of the earth, causing them to thirst, Lord God. That we could offer them rivers of living water that only come from you, Jesus. We thank you for Sarah again this morning, Lord, and the destiny that's ahead of her, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you for those that would recommit their lives this morning, those that would allow you to be Lord and Savior this morning, who have made themselves bond servants, Lord. Do with them what you will. Take them places that many outside the church and inside the church said that they'd never be able to go and things they'd never be able to do in ways that they'd never change. Let them be a lie and let you be the truth, God. We thank you, Lord. Today was just another day for you of doing what you want to do, how you want to do it, Lord. We can't wait to see what you do with the rest of this day and when you wake us up tomorrow, Lord. We love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. You are released. Hopefully we'll see you guys at the park. Love on Sarah. Amen.